Welcome to Cloudlandia. Mm. Welcome to Cloudlandia. Yeah, well, welcome to everybody to Cloudlandia. <clears throat> but be in both worlds. Be in the mainland and be in Cloudlandia. Okay. You know what is so funny that you said those exact words? Because my thoughts this weekend have been on the, that intersection between Cloudlandia and the mainland. And you know, specifically, I was thinking about how it's more, it's very easy right now to imagine and only exist in Cloudlandia as a business, like as an economic thing. You can almost exclusively live in Cloudlandia. And I was thinking about 25 years ago, there was an article that was like cutting edge journalism at the time. Somebody, the, a magazine or the New York Times or somebody embedded a journalist in an apartment in New York City with the <clears throat> intention of seeing could they survive for a week with their only means of communication, the internet. That was like, you know, daring journalism at the time. They were cutting themselves off from society, essentially, and only existing with the minority of people who were on in Cloudlandia, the early adopters, I guess you would call them, right? And now it's so, that would be almost cute kind of journalism to see if you could survive. I think it would be, you know, I think we've mentioned before, it'd be more, it'd be more daring to see if you could survive a week without interacting with Cloudlandia. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, we most of us had an experience of that actually, let's say February of 2000. <clears throat> and so the challenge in February, first week of February 2000, is that <clears throat> your in-person business, you have to switch it to being a virtual business. Yes. And Zoom, you use Zoom as the means of doing that. So <clears throat> you have to replace all the income that you're making from person to person interaction to interaction only on Zoom. And I couldn't have done it. <laughs> but by February of 2022, we had done it. Yeah, you open up a whole new world of opportunity. And now that both are back, you know, I mean, now that you, the mainland, you've already figured out and you've got a substantial, you know, mainland based kind of business. And now mm -hmm. with the ad, with the addition of the, you know, Cloudlandia cohorts, mm -hmm. got the recipe to double or more and probably find out that the, are you on a track that the Cloudlandia portion of the business will surpass the mainland portion? What, what, well, what well, is it's it too, right it's now? Between, you know, it's too early to tell. Um, trajectory-wise. Yeah, uh, yeah, but I think it's too early to even set a trajectory, trajectory because yeah. you don't know during this comeback year of 2022, <clears throat> where they're going to settle, you know, we right now we have about, I think, out of our 2,300, there's 2,300 total in the program. 
And I think about, let's say, 500 of them will do their workshop during this quarter. So the quarter, <clears throat> I'm just talking about the next three months. So it'll be yeah. uh, June, July, and August. I think about 500 of them will do their um, their workshop in virtual on, on Zoom rather than actually traveling to okay. to a lot, to an in-person workshop. And you don't know whether that's just because they're still hesitant or they're still, you know, trying to figure out what's going to be what. <clears throat> so, you know, I told the team, you know, you really won't know how behaviors have changed until about halfway through 2023. So I think this year is a transition year, and I wouldn't draw, I wouldn't project too many, to you know, right. things to it. But I do know that we're having our best sales year ever. So mm -hmm. they're either choosing to be in person or they're choosing to be virtual. I mean, mm -hmm. we're still having mm -hmm. virtual sales. So, mm -hmm. but I think that my my sense is that the majority of people are going to go to some sort of hybrid model and it have a lot to do with when they choose to travel and when they choose not to travel. And, you know, yeah. So, you know, I pay attention to check writers and they kind of tell me the way they want it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. We're definitely, you know, we're, we're seeing more and more the, you know, I've been thinking about specifically I talked about the intersection, but then combining that with the free zone concepts <clears throat> of the free zone collaborations. And we're starting mm -hmm. to see, I really keep my eye open like for more of these things and to see the evidence that the things that we've already identified are progressing. And, you know, <clears throat> I look at what's been a big hit. Some of the, one of the first kind of these collaborations that I noticed was Amazon with Kohl's as far as allowing you know people to just bring their physical goods to Kohl's to return them mm -hmm. rather than going to the post office. And that Kohl's estimated that brought them a, or tracked that that brought them 2 million new customers. And everybody that brings something back to the store is issued a receipt for that along with a discount coupon for something in the store today. So you're in a store returning. Mm -hmm. You've obviously got a need that was unfulfilled and it may be right there in the four walls, something better that, than what you were mm -hmm. looking for. And here's yeah. some incentive to, to do it. And then the more recent one is Toys R Us combined mm -hmm. with Macy's. Macy's and their pilot program was such a success. They're rolling that now to 400 stores and Macy's they've, yep, and they've completely mm -hmm. integrated their digital businesses mm -hmm. as well. So now <clears throat> the toys are us website and digital e-commerce thing is on Macy's as well. And mm -hmm. that's going to be a huge success. So I'm seeing, mm -hmm. we're seeing more and more of those things now. I think Sephora 
has, I forget who they have combined with and somebody with Nordstrom's. And you start to think about these big <clears throat> bloated retail flagships, you know, the anchor mm-hmm. tenants at the mall kind of thing with these 40,000 square foot stores that, you know, you think about that to giving up, you know, 20% of the space is 8,000 square foot standalone little store that you could have inside the walls and not make any difference. And you know, if you just take out your bottom 20% of space, make room for, you know, the, your partner's top 20% in that 8,000 yeah. square feet, there's limitless. Yeah. I think, you know, the, I think probably the, there may be someone, um, just not taking account of, but it seemed to me that Starbucks got into this because Starbucks started, you know, even in the, I first encountered Starbucks and, uh, and it, I think was in the mid eighties. And I started doing, you know, doing one-on-one coaching in Vancouver mm-hmm. And uh, Vancouver was the first city other than Seattle where there mm-hmm. were Starbucks stores. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I was so impressed because they had uh, they had two stories that were kitty corner from each other. One was right on the uh, corners uh, on busy street. Yeah. Yeah. On opposite corner. They were on opposite corners. And one of them was for the I'd say the artistic artistic market in Vancouver. And the other one was for the bikers. So one of them had, That's you know, funny. you'd always, you'd always see about 15 Harleys parked outside of the one and you go in and, you know, the clientele were bikers. And, but if you crossed over to Kitty Corner, the opposite, mm-hmm. diagonally opposite corner, it was the blue haired nose ring right. um, folks and they didn't mix. And so Starbucks uh-huh. figured out that we got separate markets here. So we'll, you know, we'll create two stores. And those, the one of them was the biggest grossing Starbucks store for a number of years, bigger than the one they started Pike's. Wow. And, and Pike market. Uh, Pike's market in, in Seattle. <clears throat> and then, you know, and then the, they went global, but then they started, I think Marriott was the first hotel that so every Marriott yeah. hotel had a, you know, and then they just started linking up. I well, think that United was a program. Airlines. Yeah, that was a program they had called Serving Starbucks, where they mm-hmm. would do location-based licenses. Yeah. So yeah. Barnes and Noble was doing that. Yeah, Barnes and Noble. Starbucks. Was, um, yeah, Barnes yeah. and Noble was another one. Airports, yeah. Uh, airports mm-hmm. were doing. Yeah, and I think style. United Airlines had Starbucks <laughs> um, on their planes. <laughs> yeah. Just their coffee, not espresso right. or anything like that. Right. And uh, but it's you know what I think about this is if you go through history, the most prosperous and interesting countries have always been, for the most part, maritime countries, and a significant amount of their revenues in the country came from maritime trade. And it seems to me that in you know, we started off the podcast by talking about being resident in both worlds, being resident mm-hmm. in the mainland world. And because each is the test of the other, 
each each of the realms you are is the test of another. In other words, a mainland, a new mainland thing right now is really good if it also mm-hmm. is connected to the Cloudlandia, and a Cloudlandia thing is good if it's still connected to the mainland. Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. Because I think there's a checking out both sides is an important reality test. Yes. And that's in kind other of words, where uh, mm-hmm. in, in other words, let's say property in Cloudlandia, you know, what you're seeing with <clears throat> non fungible token as a Cloudlandia, you know, it's a Cloudlandia mm-hmm. property. And but is that also translatable? I mean, in other words, can you translate that into dollars in the I mean, mo- most of it's being paid paid for with dollars. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. to get the NFT, you're paying dollars. So obviously, there's, it's perceived in the mainland as having value, even though you're buying it in Cloudlandia. It's perceived as being fungible. You can transfer transfer it back to the value of it back to the mainland. I do think it's like slightly ironic that the, you know, even though these things are being touted, the cryptocurrencies as you know, independent outside of the traditional financial world, the still they're still measured in terms of their value in U.S. dollars, <laughs> which is kind of <laughs> funny. You know, like no matter what, it's like the thing that you're buying, mostly you're buying the NFTs with Ethereum, and they're all you know, it's all pegged to. Mm-hmm what value <laughs> in US dollars. Well, you know? you know, you know, in the news reports of crypto is going through the roof. Which roof? The US dollar roof. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's what's so you know, funny, oh, you know? desperate losses in crypto world. What are the what's desperate? It's it gets you fewer US dollars. <laughs> yeah, so, exactly. Uh, yeah, above all the gods you worship, there's maybe another god. <laughs> Right. I think that's so funny, you know? Yeah, I was just reading. We have ongoing discussion group of clients here in Toronto. And tomorrow night is our quarterly, and it'll be our 80th. So it'll be 20 years tomorrow. And every quarter. And there's about a dozen to 14. And I would say Mm -hmm. that nine of them have been uh, continuous over the 20 years and but there was an article in and one of the articles that was submitted was on the central bank digital currency and that's a mm-hmm. term that probably is going to be banned you know it's a new term but it's a CBDC it's called CBDC and it's a central bank so it's the Fed in the United States the Federal Reserve would issue its own digital currency right now. Oh, I didn't realize uh, that. Yeah. Well, no, it's a proposal. It's a proposal. Okay. It's not a, it's an idea that's floating around. And, and part of the reason is to get ahead of the curve. I think that government officials say it's very clear that we are going to digital, you know, Mm -hmm. and, uh, and we don't want the, dollar to decline in usefulness in the world. So we'll just digitize, more or less digitize the dollar. 
And so, yeah, and it'll be backed. It'll be backed up by the central bank of the United States. So, you know, that's well, yeah, that's a significant support structure. And that's interesting because I wonder then if that will allow, you know, for a peer-to-peer kind of infrastructure. Yeah, that's exactly. Like what, that's exactly. Mm-hmm. That would be. That would solve the one of the issues that people are turning to Bitcoin. Yeah, there's about for, 10 right? uh there's a, about 10 compelling offers that it has, but it's got uh-huh. it's got about 10 convincing counter arguments why it won't work. So it's at the mm. certainty uncertainty stage right now. The uh, yeah. so there's a lot uh, there's a lot going for it, but there's also there's a lot unknown about when you do it. It's uh you know, there's things that once you start something, you can't unstart it. And so you got to be real careful about it. But in a certain way, digital currency has existed for a long time. And I'll give you an example is when you buy a Starbucks card, you have a piece of plastic, which is, in fact, a form of money. You know, in a Starbucks, you go in, you don't have to use your credit card. You don't have to use cash. You just give the Starbucks card. And, and, you know, there's, I won't say millions, but there's countless number of other cards that you give. And uh, it's a, it's like free money for Starbucks because they mm-hmm. get your money now. You're right. And you, they get your money now. And there's a 20% chance that you'll forget about it or lose it. And so it'll it, never be right. redeemed. It'll never be yeah. redeemed. Yeah. Yeah, that's really I think that's interesting. It's and almost like whole, the government it's almost like the government selling lottery tickets. Yeah. Well, that's you know, you think about the in many cases you don't even need the card for the on the app. You can reload no. your digital card. Mm-hmm. But I just look at the. I think, but that seems to me to be digital. That's digital money. I mean, yeah, right. I, I think that they're thinking about companies that have enhanced the mainland experience with a Cloudlandia layer. Yeah, Starbucks mm-hmm. has. You, know, you just reminded me, Starbucks has really like raised the bar on that. In that, you can. <clears throat> <laughs> I, I treat, you know, you can have, I call it like a diplomatic experience at, at Starbucks. You get treated like a diplomat. Like you can say in the car on the way, hey, I'm, I'm coming. Here's what I'd like. <laughs> and then you walk in the door and they've already got it prepared and on the counter for you. Yeah. You walk yeah. in, pick it up <clears throat> and leave. Talk about like friction Yeah, I would. You know? Yeah, that really struck me. I was on Michigan Avenue in Chicago, and there's yeah. a convenient Starbucks just off. It's on a side street, but it's about mm-hmm. you know it's a minute walk from the intersection of Michigan Avenue. And I went in there, and I was in line with four or five people. To, and it was during COVID, so they had nobody sitting in there. So the, the section sit, sitting section was off. It was out of bounds, and and I was just counting the number of orders that were being put right by the baristas. They were, you know, they were fulfilling and bagging. And by the time I got, I was number five. By the time I got my order in, 
I counted 17 picks up, pickups where people pickups, had come in right, exactly. and picked up their, you know, yeah. picked up their order. And uh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. That was all being done digitally. I think that's awesome. The, that, the ordering part was done digitally. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, yeah, yeah. done digitally. And all you had to do is mm-hmm. walk in and pick it up. I, you know, that reminded me too of, you know, Amazon is now, you know, doing that. That they're bringing these Amazon Go stores, which are like convenience stores, where you can. There's not a single person in the place. You walk in, it's all app driven. It knows that you're in there. It's all cameras and sensors, and you just take what you want and leave, and it automatically charges your Amazon account. No, no checkout. No nothing. <laughs> Pick it up. It sees that you picked this up and you just leave. That's pretty yeah. amazing, well, right? Well, well, I think what they're facing with the end of COVID is uh, traffic congestion is their number one growth yeah. obstacle. Yeah. You know, first of all, they're having a hard time finding drivers and, mm-hmm. and traffic conditions. I mean, are, as far as I can tell in Toronto, anyway, traffic congestion is back to its pre-COVID normal. And, and, you know, and so, you know, everybody says this delivery business is terrific. And I said, it may have been terrific during COVID, but my sense mm-hmm. is the once you get back to mainland traffic congestion, then you've got yourself a, you know, you got yourself a slowdown, yeah. <clears throat> you know, a slow, uh, a slowdown factor that really can't be solved digitally. You can't solve mm-hmm. it. So having a place where people can go and pick up, you know, and, uh, you know, gets them out of their chair. <laughs> yeah. You know, right, right. I, I, the reason I'm commenting on that is I bought a, I had a Apple Watch purchased for me two weeks ago, and I love it. And I purchased it one for one reason for its size app, how much exercise mm-hmm. I've done. In the, and and it reminds me, if I've been sitting for more than 60 minutes on the 60-minute yeah. mark, it reminds me, get up hey. and walk around. And yeah. uh, I love it. I love it. And I'm very compliant. You know, I find. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So my sense is that the idea that you would still go some distance to pick something up uh, strikes me as people are willing to do that. Yes. Well, that's what that's what Walmart is counting on in their counter argument mm-hmm. to Amazon. If you're thinking about their they're looking for their you know competitive advantage in the world, and you know they bought Jet.com, which was a huge you know e-commerce site that came out of nowhere really but became you know a huge online retailer and Walmart bought them integrated them into their own e-commerce situation and so greatly enhanced their digital cloudlandia capabilities but now they've mm-hmm. using they're using the logistics of doing delivery and but having it centered from their stores and so yeah. you could get same day deliver. You can order online and either pick up or have it brought to you for most of the items that they have, which can be, that can be an advantage, especially in their superstores that have grocery items mm-hmm. and stuff. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, the my discussion group that I was mentioning <clears throat> before, we have articles which are formatted into <clears throat> book pages, and then we have a bound book of 30 or so articles. And this is just people yeah. picking up things that other people in the group, they think that other people in the group would be interested in thinking about this and talking about it. But we also have a book quarter, and I'm usually the originator of the book because... I've seen a couple <clears throat> of those. That I, I love to see that. You know, yeah, they're yeah. great. Yeah, it's a really it's a really interesting book. And it, they're kind of like time captures, too, because if you got one that was our quarterly book, quarterly articles from 10 years ago, it would be like time travel back because you'd say, you know, none of that stuff would be news right now. None of the stuff from 10 years ago would be news. Right. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, <clears throat> now it's a lot about, you know, it's triggered by the upcoming election. It's triggered by Russia, Ukraine. It's triggered by inflation. It's, you know, there's just a lot of yeah, energy, you know, energy thing, a lot of, you know, very current topics. And it's sort of captured, you know, it's sort of captured. This is what's in the, you know, <clears throat> this is what people are talking about and thinking about I today. A, I just saw a great meme that was on the heels of Davos in of the World Economic Summit mm -hmm. or whatever they mm -hmm. get together there. It was a picture of all the private jets lined up and it said yeah, there are 50, 100, 195 yeah. private jets descend on Davos to talk about your carbon footprint. Yeah. <laughs> Which was so funny because now I think what they're proposing is a way of you can have an app that tracks your lifestyle and calculates your carbon footprint. Yeah. I thought, man, that is just, it's so ironic, isn't it? That these guys are flying on private jets yeah. to talk about getting individuals to really watch their carbon footprint. Oh, yeah. Man. Yeah. <clears throat> That's a whole subject in itself, Davos. Yeah, but exactly. anyway, uh, but the book we have for uh, this quarter is a really fascinating book. It's called The, the Cloud Revolution. And it's by Mark Mark Mills, and he's a terrific writer. He's a, mainly an energy writer. I found him for the last twenty five years. He oh, wow. he's out of a think tank in New York called the Manhattan Institute, and okay. basically economic economic trends. And he's just talking about the uh, the combination of the cloud with artificial intelligence. And he's saying, you know, more and more we're seeing that a lot of the, you know, a lot of what is facilitated by the cloud is actual real world productivity jumps using artificial intelligence. And one of the, uh, there's two predictions that he makes that I find very interesting because I, right off the bat, I find them very plausible. And the first one is the complete retrofitting of big shopping centers into actually manufacturing and manufacturing production and delivery centers. So let's say you take Yorkville, 
we both know York Mill uh, Shopping Center in Toronto. And mm-hmm. it's massive. I mean, it's just yeah. acres and acres of stores. And he said, well, in some places, these are not viable. You know, they've lost mm-hmm. their economic status. So you have a lot of there. Some of them are like 50% empty. And mm-hmm. he said, the natural tendency is you're going to tear it down. He says, don't tear it down. That clear it out, mm-hmm. buy the other people out who are in it and clear it out and then start putting factories in it that are, and one thing about the shopping centers, they're always close to transportation yeah. systems. Right. Yeah. And so, for example, if you went to Yorkville, the subway system connects with it. I think the GO line connects with it. The, the you know, the 401, which is one of the bigger busiest freeways in North America. And then you have the airport is only about 15 minutes, 15 minutes away. And there, there are rail yards, you know, rail yards. very. So it's uh, superbly located. And he said, Mm -hmm. and then he said, but what you have is factories, which are robot driven factories, you know, Uh and the workers there are you know, basically IT workers that service. But he said the other thing you got is tremendous parking lots. So you can have massive delivery. You could have trucks pulling into, you know, to. So what he said, the raw materials come into the shopping center and are produced or the components are. So you have one supply chain that brings the materials in and then the production takes place in the shopping mill and then the finished products go out. And so it's the end of one supply chain and the beginning of another supply chain. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Right. And that's, I think we're seeing, I think Amazon was eyeing those as well as warehouse, like distribution centers because of their proximity to, you know, dense population. Yeah, but I was thinking of the I was thinking of the skyscrapers in downtown mm-hmm. Toronto. Mm-hmm. Easily, I think a third of people, a third of the pre-COVID work population that came into the inner city won't come back to those buildings. Mm-hmm. You know, so you could have whole floors which are warehouse space, or you could have floors that are factory space, and uh, yeah, and you've got you know you've got parking underneath them you yeah know, you could have one for a parking which is just for pickups and deliveries yes yeah repurposing right i think that's really yeah. the yeah so the first one which i found really interesting was the notion that shopping centers could be retrofitted as you know as you know real exactly. production real production centers and the other one, which I found really interesting, is what's called materials technology. So mm-hmm. one of the real, what I would call, supply chain issues in the world that so much of what goes into high technology, in terms of what goes into microchips and everything else, and you know things digital, are com- comprised of rare earth. They're called mm-hmm. rare earth materials, and lithium would be an example for batteries. You know that it's only found in certain parts of the world, and yeah. most of those parts of the world are under the control of people you don't necessarily like. 
<clears throat> and uh, and he, he said that he, what he sees 20 years from now is that you design new materials and you just create them out of atoms. Like, mm. you know, in other words, that you basically know what goes into a particular material and you just create it. You know, you create it in the lab. And, uh, you know, so there's no mining, there's no transportation of it at all. Right. You, just create, you just create it on the site where you need it. Yeah, have, uh, I wonder how far we are away from, you know, materializers. You know, like yeah, where that's a good name. Material, they're the, materializers. Yeah, yeah, where you have you know all the elements, uh, you know, preloaded. The periodic table. You have the periodic yeah, exactly. Table. The periodic yeah. table vending machine that you yeah. push the button and the recipe for H two O produces water. I wonder. Well, I think right. Uh, I think Dean Kamen would. Dean Kamen yeah. would probably be the person who would look at that. I mean, he got an agreement. I think it was with Coke, and he created yeah, Coca Cola. No, uh, these big machines. Yeah. Where you could customize your Coke. And yeah. He invented the machine, and he gave it to Coke, and re- in return for Coke agreeing to get fresh water throughout the world to. Distribution. That was a fascinating yeah. thing that that it turns out that Coca Cola has the farthest reaching distribution network of any company in the world. You go to yeah. deepest, darkest corners of the earth, and there yeah. are Coca Cola fountain machines. You know that have, yeah. that are that are established as distribution, and that was for his water because he had created the, the potable water purifier yeah. that can turn puddle water into into drinkable yeah. water but you know yeah. the interesting but the other thing, thing is he that he's, that. Uh, he's now in human organs you know his factory uh-huh. in manchester yeah. new hampshire they're they've been doing replacement skin and the replacement bones and replacement mm-hmm. ligaments uh, for the U.S. Department of Defense for the battle battlefield injuries, and mm-hmm. and they were on schedule to start producing baby hearts. You know, where a baby is wow. born with a defective heart, you take healthy tissue from the heart and send it to Dean Kamen's factory, and they take that healthy DNA and they forty two days, I think it is forty two days, they produce a identical heart that is wow. you know, can't be rejected because it's yeah. ge- it's genetically the same as the defective heart. Can you imagine? Yeah. So he's already yeah, doing that. Can... So my feeling is that materials, and it, it has to do with when something's crucially, it's needed, uh, there's a crucial need for it, and there's a formidable obstacle that doesn't make it predictable. In other words, that this could get cut off. And so my sense is that you'll put up with that for a while, but then you say, we've got to create a bypass to this problem. Yeah. It's really, you know, it's fascinating because that it's looking, you know, you start to think about combining all these elements. The interesting thing about his Dean's, you know, Coca-Cola machine that can make all of the drinks, right, with this little syrup tubes, is his original thing that he invented was the 
the diabetic, the insulin oh. pump that that yeah. delivered precision <clears throat> dosage of insulin. Home dialysis. Yes, exactly. That that what he was really what he had was the plumbing or the infrastructure mm-hmm. for precision fluid delivery. Yeah. That was the piping and the infrastructure that he combined to solve the puzzle of how to make, you know, grape soda and how to make cherry coke from the same mm-hmm. with a touch screen. It's all the formula <clears throat> of how much, you know, how much water, how much carbonation, how much syrup went with mm-hmm. it. Yeah. But imagine now, I mean, if you could have a materializer where you could do... Well, I think you've just named it. I think you've just named it. Absolutely. But now we're getting into the the Star Trek replicator. You know, that was what every they had the thing that would create all of those. It's going to be interesting to see. Star Trek has been right about everything <laughs> so far. It's, it's still... I still keep Zoom as close as we've come to the transporter, but it'll be interesting to see if it ever gets to where we can. Yeah, there would have to be some compelling need to, you know, to send our bodies, you know. To, well, that may be what um, the metaverse will be, the actual practical. Well, so that. far, so far, the word from it is that women get attacked more quickly when they go into I, the metaverse. That's amazing, isn't it? It's just like such a, what a weird world we live in, <laughs> in some ways. I mean, that's just... Yeah, I mean, there's a, uh, you know, there's a Zucker effect that I think is pretty apparent right now that he wants to do good, but generally when he touches things, they turn bad. And, mm, right. uh, you know, so... You know, so my sense is that, first of all, it al- I mean, the metaverse already uh, has existed for quite a long time yeah. in the military. And as a matter of fact, the new fighter, and this will be the last probably American fighter jet where there's actually a human pilot. The re- mm-hmm. From this point forward, the, the fighter jets will be super drones. and okay. But this one... And the whole thing is that you have, it's the F-35, and apparently it's so advanced that if another, let's say, an enemy jet is with 120 miles of the F-35, it's dead. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, and so it's not even observable. And wow. the point is that you, there's never one F-35 up. You know, you never send one F-35, you send six of them. Okay. Right. And the six of them are a system of, of communication and information mm-hmm. and coordination. <clears throat> and plus, they have satellite. I mean, they're using satellite mm-hmm. connections. And so uh, 120 miles is beyond the horizon. You know, if you're at yeah. 30,000 feet, 120 is beyond the horizon. And they're picking up people just as they're entering a time zone within five minutes they'll be they'll be visible above the horizon and wow. they're they can already fire their rockets while the other jet is you know wouldn't even be picking up on them and that's because wow. of the advanced communications and 
you know, and after this, it'll be guys parked in a, tra- a trailer at, in Las Vegas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it'll be back to the things that they were doing when they were 10 years old. <laughs> Isn't that war amazing. games? Yeah, yeah. Boy, that's amazing when you really, I mean, we've come a long way since Pong in the 70s, you know, it's just, it's almost, I mean, it it baffles your mind as how much it's changed, but how gradual it happened, you know, 25 years now since. Yeah. It's really interesting. I had the idea for one of my new quarterly books, and it's called Timeless, the book title that I'm provisional book title is called Timeless Technology. And my sense is that technology is a human ability that Mm -hmm. goes back right to the beginning. In other words, that you're trying to improve your environment. Humans are the only species that immediately sets about altering their environment to make it suitable for themselves okay mm-hmm. and and they're faced with some problems things are too heavy you know things are too far you know there there's just all these and then we think up well how could we defeat this you know how could yeah. we how do we turn this to our advantage you know and my sense is that the first human who started using something outside of themselves to change something out of themselves. You're into the realm of technology and Mm -hmm. you can draw a continuous line backwards back to that first person saying, you know, you know, he's thinking about it. How could I do this differently? You know, how could we move this around? You know, if we do this and do this, you know, and you know, lightning creates fires. And he says, how could, you know, it's too, it's not convenient that we have to wait around for the just the right type of lightning strike to get fire. I really like that fire thing, you know. How do mm-hmm. we how do we kind of capture it when it happens, but then how do we how do we fire on demand? Fire on yeah, demand. Fire on demand. <laughs> fire on demand, you know. It's like yeah, yeah it's uh, yeah. and uh, and everything. And I think so my whole point is that the technological experience is built right into our nervous system it, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's timeless and to have a psychological problem with it means that you're you're trying to you know you're trying to swim up a waterfall you know i mean yeah you're not getting the point here you're not getting the point this is that this is an innate ability of improving things you know yeah. you just want to improve things anyway so that's the, that's my but thought. But that is funny book. how we do crave, we do seek that. I don't, I remember several years ago, I saw a, a video or some kind of tele, something either on television or on the internet about the kind of Jewish innovators that would invent machines or ways that could do things that you technically weren't allowed to do on the Sabbath that, you know, it would be, it would like pick up the telephone or something, or it would start the thing without you actually, you'd be able to, with the letter of the law thing, 
well, I didn't lift that up, you know, or whatever that they weren't allowed to, to do. They had a technological kind of loophole around it yeah. that would solve the, the issue to keep them sort of within the letter of the law, but not <laughs> the spirit, of course. It's funny. But we do yeah. crave that kind of thing. Oh, yeah. yeah. We we encounter an obstacle and we can imagine what it'd be like without the obstacle. <laughs> yeah. I wonder yeah. what the aha, like that's a fascinating, I'd love to see actually a little like vignettes of the great inventor, like the great things that the aha moment that led to them. Like, I wonder what was going through Gutenberg's mind and experience before he had the idea that, hey, I could, I know he was a jeweler or, or something. No, he was uh, a like goldsmith. That, right? It was a, a goldsmith. It was a gold. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And he was used to creating forms for right. different shapes yeah. of gold. Yeah. And then it just occurred, and then you know it just occurred to him that um, maybe somebody wanted their initial or something in a yeah uh, gold A yeah, yeah, yeah they wanted a gold A uh, and that got him hey wait a minute I could make a B and a C yeah you know, yeah <laughs> you know I mean I mean you never know what it is but my sense yeah. is that it's the type of mind that you know it's like having. It's like how your tongue goes crazy if there's something stuck in one of your back teeth. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, and my think is that there's minds that are like tongues, you know, mm-hmm. that once once they're up against something, they can't let it go. They have to keep working to figure a workaround or a bypass to, uh, to it, yeah. And uh, Every time I think about tongues, finding a solution. I think of Jeff Foxworthy, who was talking about <laughs> this pie is so good. If you put a slice of that on top of your head, your tongue will beat your brains out trying to get to it. That's a compelling, together. it's a compelling offer. That's <laughs> <laughs> right. Isn't that funny, though? Yeah, it was funny. funny. Steve Krein and I were doing a podcast on Friday, the Free Zone. It was with Keegan Caldwell. And boy, was it. We did three of them in about two hours, three podcasts. And he was telling me things about his world. That IP, he's in the, uh, Mm -hmm. Keegan is Free Zone. He's He's an IP lawyer. He's got the fastest growing IP firm for the last three years in the United States. So, which, which I suspect is probably the fastest growing in the world because mm-hmm. that's probably where, <clears throat> well, that's the, fastest, know, the biggest IP market for sure. Yeah. It's the fastest market. And there's two things that he was telling me, and that is that there's now software that he uses where he can calculate the speed with which you can get a patent. Okay. So what it does is that, kind of puts together all the wisdom that there is about the patent bureau process category and then you would punch in and where you've made it you've made it what i would say you 
your application doesn't have any drag to it, you know, like yeah. you've you've just lubricated it in such a way that it just goes right through the patent process. Uh-huh. And and the other one, which I found really fascinating, is that if you're an inventive kind of firm or you're an innovative type of firm and you have lots and lots of innovations, not necessarily you haven't commercialized them, but there's now a whole process in software which can give you the future valuation of your non-commercialized fee. Wow. And it will establish what you, and they have a bank that backs this up. So they evaluate your, the future value of your, let's say it's $20 million. You could then borrow up to $10 million against the future commercialization of your IP. Wow. What a great, what a great thing. I've never even thought and about it. the yeah. thing about it is that essentially that's why you go to the investor market is mm-hmm. basically but you have to give up ownership this way you don't give up any ownership yeah that's that's interesting because you start to see it's becoming really a thing now that you know within the last six months or so you've seen you know bruce springsteen and bob dylan and justin timberlake and all these people who've sold their catalogs, their their publishing mm-hmm. catalogs for you know hundreds of millions of dollars, and so that's been going on for a long time. David Bowie mm-hmm. was one of the first that that sold. So we put together Bowie bonds that was you know sell, buying a future interest in the, the the value of his of his catalog. Mm-hmm. But you said you have there's somebody in the program who does who buys long tail music. IP, right? Was that the Yeah, I'll see him yeah. tomorrow night. He's in my discussion oh, okay. group. Yeah. Greg oh, wow. Gishon. He's a hedge fund manager here in Toronto and oh, he wow. created it. And the first one he did, uh he it was just an experiment and it worked, but the the team wasn't right, so he sold the company to another big thing. So he made, oh. you know, he made a good, he made a good, got a good payday for it. Right. And then he really, he got enough of the model in his mind that he could now design a 10 times better team. And now he's really big. I mean, he's, it's gone really big in the last wow. two years. And, and it's, it's a fairly predictable, once you do it, it's a fairly predictable thing in the yeah. sense that it's based on, <clears throat> and he said that you don't go, I mean, it's not going after the big stars. So if you think of the long tail, well, the line on the right is straight up and you're not going to touch that. He says that you come down the tail and it's from basically the 20% mark of the tail as it curves down. So you start at 20% and you go yeah. to 40%. And he said, that's the sweetheart. And it's somebody who has written music and 20 years ago, um, <clears throat> well, let's say when downloading started, you know, so it'd be mm-hmm. 10 years, let's say 10 years ago when downloading using your phone or using, you know, one of the services had started. And he said, you get, you, there's 5,000 downloads a month. And it was that way 10 years ago. And it's that way right now. That yeah. That's just. That's a beautiful thing. 
Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. There's so many different, you must see like some amazing businesses just among the people in strategic. Just, just in I mean, free zone now. I mean, just yeah. in, just in free zone now. I mean, we're up to 60 now in free zone and we just had somebody from Europe join. He's from Switzerland and he's got a management consultant network of 1400 consultants in 35 countries. And he, but he's got this, you know, really vast network of consultants who are, but they have a software-based connector with the, their clients, they're all businesses. And, and it solves a lot of problems right up off the bat. It's very, Mm. you know, it's a very clarified, it's kind of like a transformative software experience that gets you started on it. And okay. then they add human, then they add human coaching to oh, it, wow. you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and yeah, just really, really, we got a guy who is starting the whole process of constructing big components for the new, the new type of nuclear reactor, which is probably going to be the ultimate solution to the <clears throat> energy thing. And he's starting in Wyoming. And Wyoming has a billion dollar a startup fund for the new generation of nuclear, which is actually kind of like a salt. It's like a, uh, it's a particular salt process from what I understand. Okay. And the governor of Wyoming is big, you know, really big on this. And, you know, and there's a lot of investor, there's a lot of big investors. In, oh, uh, and they're new- smaller scale. Or yeah, yeah. I mean, my neighborhood. What nuclear? I can figure out is the house that I'm in right now. You know, the big house that we have here. That they wouldn't be much bigger than our house. Uh-huh. Yeah, they, yeah, and they're you know they they're largely you know they're digitally run mostly, and they don't have uh, <clears throat> they don't have the problem of meltdown. That that is, if anything immediately goes wrong, the entire system just shuts down. Oh, wow. uh, That'd be interesting if you could just integrate them into a neighborhood like they do the transformers. We used to joke because they would, in neighborhoods, they would build a house, like a facade of a house that looks like it just fits in the neighborhood. But it's actually a transformer. And we, I remember as a real estate agent, we would, let's call it hazing. We would haze new, new people who came into the office by calling in and setting up a listing appointment for them for, you know, 142 Mountain View, which was the address of this house. That was the transformer house, you know. <laughs> They'd get all excited thinking they're going to go out and get their first listing and drive up to the house, and it's the transformer. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's funny. Yeah. Those were the days. Yeah. Yes, when you were experimenting with cruelty. Yes, exactly. Well, back then, non-digital cruelty, right? You actually had yeah. to go drive to the house before yeah. you realized what it was. You couldn't just look it up on Zillow and realize yeah. uh, that you can dupe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But where I see it is, you know, like if you have a server farm, you know, like yeah. a, one, a server farm, you have the nuclear reactor right in the middle of the super farm and you're never, you're never connected to the grid at all. 
you mm. you're self sufficient you're self sufficient mm-hmm. with your own nuclear power and you know I mean there's you know outlying places that could never be settled you know in other yeah. words you could never have a housing development out there because of the lack of energy just too hard to get the energy you just put right you right. know <clears throat> and and there's a lot of wide open spaces in the world you know that would be pleasant to live in except there's no power and you would yeah. provide power and you could if you have power you can create water <laughs> you know is the, it gaining the, momentum the Oh yeah. Except oh, yeah. for the yeah. nuclear I think it's the 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 generation, I think it's the seventies generation. It's a contentious generation. And when I say seventies that they were in their twenties in their in the nineteen seventies. And yeah. they're the top bureaucrats and they're the top politicians in the world who developed a very anti-nuclear attitude in the 1970s and they're they're disappearing yeah yeah Yeah. they're disappearing they're disappearing and and the newer generations don't have any history of this you know so if you talk to a 20 year old now about anti-nuclear they they you know they blink you know they have no notion what you're talking about so they've got no developed attitude about it Right. Yeah, I mean Thomas Kuhn, who wrote a great book called "The Structure of Scientific Revolutions" in the 1960s, he was asked, "What's the key factor for a new technological breakthrough?" And mm-hmm. he said, "The funerals of older scientists." <laughs> That's well. There's something to that. You're right, because along with the old. Scientist dies, the old ideas, right? The well, old the, the old controls things. too. Yeah, the, right. The old opposition, the old controls, yeah. and everything. So I think we're getting to the point. You know, I think we're at an intensity high heat right now with the political polarization, which really started in the 1970s. And yeah. my feeling is, within 10 years, it'll be like a fever. We're experiencing a fever right now, but the fever will pass. And people said, what was that all about? You know, can you imagine? God, you know, when you look at it, it seems like kind of crazy. And I said, well, that's what it feels like when you have a fever. Yeah. Amazing. Anyway, an hour has passed. It has literally flown Flown by. by. Yeah. Well, I always enjoy it. It's always a fun. It's a beautiful day here in Florida and the Florida. Outpost here too. Outlandia. Here too. Yeah. We're having gorgeous, gorgeous June weather. Yeah. I love it. Well, Dan, I will talk to you next week. Same time. Okay. Have a great day. Okay. Bye.